Welcome to Historical Jesus. I'm Mark Vinette. Special date for many Christians is when the faithful celebrate how a bright star in the sky led the Magi, also known as the Three Wise Men, to visit the baby Jesus after he had been born. But how do we separate myth from fact in ancient history? How do we do this when it comes down to one of the most beloved and well-known stories of all time, the Nativity? Let's join Scott Rank of the History Unplugged podcast and find out. What Father Longenecker has done is to look at the story of the Magi that appear in the Nativity story of Jesus and what could be the historical reality of the Magi. The Matthew account never mentions that there are three of them. He just says that they are wise men from the east who see a star and go to Jerusalem and wind up in Bethlehem. What he's done is look at the history and look at the politics of the area of Judea in the first century and found that there very well could be a place where the so-called Magi could have come from. And it's not Persia. It's not the Orient, as the song goes, but Nabatea. This huge civilization that existed south of Judea and traded all throughout Arabia and the Near East, and they built all sorts of structures, like in Petra, Jordan. So it gives a whole new different historical perspective to something that a lot of people consider just to be a myth. Father Longenecker, frankincense and myrrh, you said they were cash crops. What else were they used for? Why would someone have frankincense and myrrh back then? First of all, they were very portable because they were taken from dried resin from a tree. Once it dried out, it was like transporting little rocks or sand, so it was not perishable. And once you got the myrrh, you would grind it up into a fine powder and add oils to make uh, very rich perfumes, but also it was used for various medicinal purposes. So it was very valued in the ancient world for both perfume and medicinal purposes and also for anointing the dead, obviously to take care of the smell that the corpse would be anointed. Also, it was a bit of an analgesic. Jesus was given myrrh mixed with wine when he was on the cross to deaden the pain. So it had medicinal and perfume purposes. The frankincense was burned as an act of worship in virtually every pagan temple every day and for funerals, and they consumed huge amounts of frankincense in the religions right across Greece, Rome, Egypt, Persia, right across the ancient world. And so if your religious duty was that you had to make an offering to the gods, you would go and burn a spoonful of incense. And the richer you were, the more incense you wanted to offer. So there's records, for instance, of tons of incense being burnt in the various temples all day long across the ancient world. You're saying that brings to mind the symbolism of these gifts in the nativity story. Mm -hmm. So now bringing all this together... Nabataeans are this trading civilization. How do you see them in the Nativity story? What would cause Nabataeans who are in Jordan to come up to Israel, to Bethlehem, during his birth? How does this all fit together? You've got Herod the Great, who is a vassal king of the Romans. And Caesar Augustus, Octavian Caesar, is the emperor at the time. And his vassal king in Judea is Herod. Herod is a very shrewd political survivor. He survived through basically cruelty, murder, suspicion, and being pretty smart. And his neighbor is King Aretas IV, the Nabataean king. And Herod is at the end of his reign. He's an old man. He's still paranoid that someone's going to try to take his throne. Aretas IV has just kind of usurped the throne of the Nabataeans and sort of stepped in when Obadas III, his predecessor, was poisoned by one of his rivals. 
Now, uh, Caesar Augustus is not real happy that Aretas IV has stepped onto the throne without his permission. Furthermore, because of some political intrigues, Herod had also fallen out of the good graces of Caesar Augustus. So right around 7 BC, Aretas IV and Herod the Great send an emissary to Caesar Augustus in Rome to try to get back into his good books. And they succeed, and Caesar uh, Augustus is now feeling kindly towards Herod, but he's still feeling a bit edgy towards Aretas IV and still a bit cross with Aretas IV. So Aratus IV in 6 BC has every motivation to send a diplomatic entourage to the court of Herod the Great once he discerns that a new heir to the king of the Jews has been born. His court advisors would have been astrologers, would have been magi in the Babylonian and Jewish wise man tradition. And so when they told him that the stars said that the newborn king of the Jews was born, Aratus says, I know it would be very good to send a diplomatic entourage to Herod's court and congratulate him on the birth of his new grandson and to give him these gifts and to sort of build bridges. Furthermore, when Augustus got friendly with Herod again, he gave the port of Gaza back to Herod. And so, Aratus, to get his goods across southern Judea to Gaza, has got to go through all of Herod's checkpoints, custom border controls, and get to the port of Gaza in order to keep his trade lines open. So, therefore, the wise men, in my theory, were courtiers from the court of Aratus IV in Petra in Nabatea, and they're going to the court of King Herod to give him diplomatic gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh from their country to his country to congratulate him on the birth of his grandson and his heir. Of course, they get there, and he says, what heir? What grandson? And suddenly, the story takes a turn, and that's how the story continues. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So you see it as there was a political element they come into, and it's not as though they knew exactly how the events were going to unfold. Yeah, this is the point that's always missing in the typical tale of the Magi story. What motivated these men to make this journey? And religious believers say, oh, it's because they had a spiritual longing to go and find the newborn Son of God. No, probably not. They might have had a spiritual dimension to it, and I think they did because of the history of the Nabataeans and how much religion and politics were intertwined. But there was also an economic and political dimension. This account is in Matthew, is that correct? Yes. A lot of what people would say about the Nativity story, they're probably imputing things that the text itself wouldn't say. Is that correct? Yes, completely. The idea of the wise men going on a long journey across the desert and following a magical star, Matthew doesn't say that. He doesn't say they went on a long journey. He doesn't say they traveled across the desert. And he doesn't say that the star moved in front of them as they went. When you read his simple language, they say, we saw his star in the east and we came to worship him. That means that 
according to my reading, they saw some sort of astrological signs where they were in Petra in Nabatea. And by the way, there's lots of evidence that the Nabataeans were actual stargazers and astrologers. And they took that sign and set off for Jerusalem. What do you think that astronomical, astrological event could have been? Obviously, they took it seriously as an auspicious sign. What do you think that would have been? Well, there's four different theories. One is that it was some kind of a miraculous sign from heaven, a star that moved across the night sky and guided them. I don't dismiss that because I believe in miracles, but I don't think that's likely. We always look for the natural explanation first. The second explanation would be that it is some kind of an astronomical event, like an asteroid or a comet or some kind of unusual astronomical event which took place. But then we have to ask ourselves, why would that necessarily cause them to go on this journey to find the King of the Jews? The third option is much more likely that they were astrologers, and we know that the astrology of the ancient world, using the zodiac, they were able to predict future events, and also different constellations were associated in the ancient astrological tables with certain countries. Certain planets were associated with royalty, for instance. So there's lots of theories out there, but the most interesting one was by Michael Molnar, a retired astronomer who believes that there was a conjunction of planets and there was an astrological sign with the planet Jupiter, which is the royal sign in the constellation Aries, and that they read the royal sign of Jupiter in Aries, which was associated with the Jews, and said, aha, a new king of the Jews will be born. The fourth theory is it's that combined with some kind of astronomical thing like a comet or something. My own view is that they were stargazers and that the fourth theory is that there were probably numerous things they saw in the star charts which made them draw that conclusion. That's really fascinating because it takes people who were going about their business, uh, in this case, a political mission, and then sort of falling into something they didn't expect. But it humanizes the story in a way that a lot of pastors tell it doesn't, where they have versions I've heard of it in the past where they were cognizant of the prophecies of the Messiah and put them together and came for that reason. Whereas here, they happen into it. A lot of people in scriptural tradition sort of happen into situations encountering the Almighty. That's right, God. But these things are not divorced from one another. It's possible to have a political and economic motivation while still being aware of the prophecies. And my study of the Nabataeans shows that, first of all, the key prophecies were in the prophet Isaiah, which probably originated from the Nabataean civilization. So it was written by Jews in Northern Arabia, where they already were. So they would have known those prophecies, but they were also influenced by Zoroastrianism, the Persian religion, which also had prophecies about a star and about a Messiah figure which would arise. And so they would have known those prophecies, and that would have fit in with the astrology they were looking at. So it's not separated from the political and economic realities. I'm Mark Vinette. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calitrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calitrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, 
Take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.